in health tech, you sort of have this relationship where you're introducing something very new to providers that they don't know what it is or how to use it. It's not something that they have naturally incorporated into the workflow. It's certainly nothing they've learned about in medical school or residency. And then you have the health plans are like, we don't know how to position this, how to price it, how to put guardrails around the utilization management of it. Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. I thoroughly enjoy bringing you discussions with incredible industry leaders in every episode, and it would mean a lot to me if you could rate the podcast in your favorite player and hit that bell to be notified of future episodes. Today, I spoke with Benny Alouf, Chief Medical Officer of Limbix. In their own words, Limbix is the first digital therapeutic for adolescent depression. Yep, as simple as that. But before we dive in, Benny and I have been connected for a while on LinkedIn. But the first time I met him in 3D was at a recent DTX West in San Mateo. In our first discussion, Benny struck me as an interesting personality, passionate about the mission, and just super sharp. I enjoy getting to know Benny in San Mateo. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Benny Aloof. Benny, good to have you on the DTX podcast. For all of our listeners, would love a little bit on yourself, your background, and let's not forget one small interesting fact about you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Eugene. I really appreciate it. I've listened to several of the podcasts. One of the things that I really enjoy about the way you do it is you really get to know the person first, and then you, you ask the questions, which is great, makes it very personable. I'm Benny Alouf. I'm the Chief Medical Officer of Limbix, where we're developing digital therapeutics for adolescent mental health. I'm a pediatrician by trade. I spent about 15 years practicing clinically in large hospital systems, running programs, running clinics, developing educational programs. And then I had a career pivot, and I moved over to the health plan side. So I worked for several years as a medical director, senior medical director, and a chief medical officer managing commercial plans, Medicaid plans, Medicare plans. And then pandemic hit, and it became apparent that I need to go back to my calling and seeing the experiences of my family, my children, friends' children. And as is so often stated, Mental health has always been an issue for pediatrics. Access to mental health resources and treatment has always been an issue, especially in those receiving Medicaid and CHIP coverage. But pandemic really accelerated it and kind of unroofed the scar from the injury below. And so I wanted to find a truly unique and innovative way to help. I saw that the solutions that were being proposed were somewhat outdated expanding the workforce, things like that. I heard that 30 years ago when I was entering primary care, right? 30 years ago, there were all these incentives to get people to go into primary care and mental health. We don't have enough people on the front lines. It's not really new and it didn't work then and we're still here now. But And as a healthcare provider, as well as a health plan medical director, I had a lot of things pitched to me and a lot of solutions pitched to me sort of ostensibly under the label of digital and virtual and so forth. But the idea of a digital device that lives on your phone that can deliver FDA-regulated therapy that is safe, that is effective, that's HIPAA-compliant, that follows privacy and security regulations, 
I mean, that was like, wow. Mind blown. <laughs> Completely mind blown. Like, what an idea. Like, I got to be part of this. So I joined Limbics. An interesting fact about myself is I love scuba diving and I love doing yoga. And it's amazing how the most difficult part of both is breathing. And so much of mental health is about breathing and self-awareness. And it's something that as I'm entering this space and also expanding my scuba certification and doing more yoga, I'm like, breathing is really a complicated thing. It's something we take for granted, which is also to segue into the name limbics. It stems from the limbic system, right? It's a very, very ancient system in our brain. Like the simplest of animals have it as humans, the limbic system for us has not changed versus other animals. What has is the cerebrum, the brain, the cortex that has evolved and created our sense of wonder and cognition and being able to sort of manage that limbic system and develop systems to engage with it and also identify when it's malfunctioning and trying to fix it. Before we go into limbics deeper, because there's a lot to talk about there, you kind of mentioned you went from a health system, which obviously everybody there is in the front lines. Typically, the systems are in the red. Health plans that, quote unquote, prescribe to doctors what to do, and this is in my words, and those are typically profitable. And then health tech. So that transition from health system to health plan to health tech, and as we know, health tech is trying to be profitable, typically speaking. But it's not all about profits. I'm just curious more around your journey and maybe very briefly around that transition from health system, health plan to health tech. It's definitely been uh, very interesting. You know, as a provider, you see health plans as sort of somebody who is preventing you or trying to prevent you from providing care. You have to go through prior authorization. You have this relationship with your patient. You know what's best for your patient. You should be able to just order it and the patient should be able to receive it. And the patient feels the same way. But then you work for a health plan, you realize that you can't just do that. There have to be certain guidelines that have to be followed. It's 20% of our GDP. It's a $4 trillion industry and it's consuming more and more. So there have to be some kind of guardrails around how those dollars are expensed. But then it's the massaging of what is medical necessity versus what is cost containment and how do you manage it too. And then in health tech, you sort of have this relationship where you're introducing something very new to providers that they don't know what it is or how to use it. It's not something that they have naturally incorporated into the workflow. It's certainly nothing they've learned about in medical school or residency. And then you have the health plans are like, we don't know how to position this, how to price it, how to put guardrails around the utilization management of it. So it's kind of like that double pull and push with health plans and providers. It's educating the providers to use it. It's educating health plans on its benefits talking to providers about how it can benefit their patients and how do you work with providers so that it fits into their workflow and is not disruptive and how to work with health plans to show that it not only improves their members' well-being, but it can also potentially reduce overall costs of care. 
Let's jump straight into the limbics. I know the company, I think, has been since 2016, if I'm not mistaken. I know you joined a couple of years back. So let's just spend maybe a minute or two on the history, its foundational trigger for limbics to be started, and maybe touch even on the funding journey, which I think you guys have raised about 30 million or so. So it started in 2016 with the intentions of building a technology company uh, for mental health. The term limbics, as I was saying, stem from the limbic system, which drives our emotions, a lot of our behavior, our memory. And it started as a VR company and raised seed round from Sequoia Capital. And it was VR company that was developing therapeutics that were therapist-based. So they were in the therapist's office. And the therapists would do different exposure therapies and things like that. But what the recurring theme was, this is great. <laughs> I love using it. Patients are benefiting, but I can't send them home with these clunky headset. And like, can you make something that can live on a phone or a tablet that is portable, that is accessible at any time and doesn't rely on being in my office to necessarily use it or even put on a headset? And that's when they pivoted to PDTs and for adolescent mental health. And the reason for adolescent mental health is that's where there's the greatest need. It's also the greatest challenge. Running clinical trials in pediatrics is very challenging. You need to have consents and assents, and the IRB process is more complicated, and rightfully so. I mean, we want to protect children, but it is something that is challenging, but it also is the greatest need. So it took on that challenge. And we've been working with a GSR since then for the last two rounds. And we've raised, as you said, a total of $31 million in the last seven years. Yeah, it's a great team. We had Justin on this podcast, actually, in one of the previous episodes. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Benny Aluth, Chief Medical Officer of Limbix. Let's maybe touch a little bit more in the history. And I like how you started as a VR company and then quickly realized just from an access perspective. I know this was also, I think, before you joined in some of the partnership with Behavior around the VR assets. Maybe you can just touch on that for our listeners that probably are aware of this. Yeah. So when there was the pivot from VR to PDTs, Limbix was looking for a partner for their VR assets when they thought that they could successfully bring... VR to the market in healthcare, and they worked with Aaron Ghani and Behave VR and provided them with those assets, and that worked out really well. For both. That's always good when it's a bilateral benefits, right? Yeah. Let's stick with your non-VR, which is, I think, what you and the team are pursuing. I think it's called SparkRx. Maybe you can walk us through that customer-patient-adolescent experience. How do they find you and what happens as part of that process using the platform? Initially, SparkRx was developed as a five-level program. It takes about five weeks to complete, and it's akin to how you would receive face-to-face -face psychotherapy. Starts off with psychoeducational component, moves over to mood tracking, identifying how mood affects behavior, behavior affects mood. There is gamification. You can move tiles around. There are acronyms like the TRAP model, trigger response avoidance pattern. And then it teaches you strategies fundamentally based in behavioral activation to go out into the world and engage in activities that improve your mood through what you have identified activities, either based on favorites or value system 
mood improving. And then also teaches you how to avoid those behaviors that may cause you to worsen your mood. And it really creates mastery in going out into the world and doing these things. There is also a wellness component with grounding exercises. There's a little campground. You can win like a hammock and choose between different things for your campground. You get fireflies and stars when you accomplish certain tasks. And you also log in some of your activities. And it's not just go out into the world and be happy. It's pick something from your mood log. How are you going to accomplish this? Who are you going to work with to do it? What is your plan if it doesn't work out the way that it was supposed to? And really strategizing around that. And the way that patients get access to it right now under the enforcement policy is we have providers that sign up. They get an access code. And because it's an adjunct therapy, patients, when they're seen by a clinician and they're diagnosed with depressive symptoms, the clinician has them download the app. The clinician gives them the clinician's unique access code, and the patient can enter that code and start using the app right away. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my amazing partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the CEO of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hi, Benny. What does good patient engagement look like on a product like yours that caters to adolescent mental health? Thank you, Chandana. Great question. So that is something that we work on a lot. In healthcare, more is not necessarily better. More is just more. So engagement we measure by what we call clinically active days, which means days in which patients have completed certain tasks and have logged them in. And then we try to see what the correlation is with resultant PHQ scores. So what is the clinical outcome of those clinically active days? So it's not just more time means better outcome. It's no, we want to see whether specific activities that are done and how often they're completed will result in better clinical outcome. And what we found is that there are three ways that we can improve that based on what we saw patients who did better They engaged more in the very beginning of the program. They also ended up having a greater reduction in PHQ scores. So we're doing that currently through putting nudge features in our program where providers can nudge patients to participate. We're providing parent materials in our programs. And we're also enhancing the very first couple of weeks of therapy to allow more flexibility in how the patient engages with the product. And we're going to be revisiting that again to see again, does that improve clinically active days? And that that does correlate with better clinical outcomes. As usual, I'm going to hop in here. You alluded to earlier that doing clinical trials with adolescents is tough. Maybe you can walk us through a bit of your evidence generation journey and the FDA journey to the extent that you can talk about it, given where you guys are in the process. Our most recent journey, which we're happy to celebrate, is we've completed our pivotal trial. It's an internal pivotal trial where we recruited, we actually oversubscribed. We were planning on 220 kids randomized control trial between usual care and SparkRx versus the control, which is usual care. We actually ended up, I think, with 224 kids. And we haven't seen the data yet in full analysis, but we're planning on using that data to submit to the FDA for clearance. And we're hoping to do that by mid to late summer. Once we were able to get all that data, we did a lot of the recruitment. We 
went multidimensional recruiting strategy, decentralized entirely, right? Which it's interesting, COVID kind of brought to light that you can do decentralized studies, right? Usually you would have to contract with a particular facility. And then, so we've actually mastered, in my opinion, the decentralized process for study and everything was done virtually. Thank you to the wonderful research and science team that put everything together seamlessly. And what we did was we did a lot of social media recruiting, which is probably where we succeeded most. We did establish some relationships with health systems and to have them facilitate recruiting. But the fact is, a lot of providers are just too busy. And even though we said, we will do everything, we just need you to kind of let us know that these patients would benefit from this study. And we will do the onboarding, we will do the screening and all that. It still was not where we got most of our patients. Most of our patients were just from social media. And it also goes to show your earlier description of the market and the need out there, right? The fact that, you know, typically it's very hard to recruit for clinical trials. In your case, you've kind of oversubscribed, as you mentioned. A lot of patients submitted requests for their children to be on it. So it wasn't just kids seeing it on social media. There were parents and caregivers wanting their kids seeing that as a real solution. Let's talk about your current business hypothesis. Uh, you're going to submit for the FDA, hence you go in PDT. What's the scaling plan? I think we've seen some challenges around getting the docs and in some of the cases, therapists prescribing the digital therapeutics. How are you guys thinking about this as you're scaling into the market? As we've seen, that's a huge, huge issue. Again, multi-pronged, right? So number one, we engage one-to-one -one with providers. We appreciate that this is a new technology. There is some skepticism. Providers want to know, is it safe? Is it effective? What's my liability? Who's paying for it? And will it interrupt my workflow? So when we go talk to providers, we need to have an answer for each one of those. Because if you miss one of those, you're not going to be used. So that's one of the things we do. We attend conferences, provider conferences, so because we're pediatric, American Academy of Pediatrics, American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, you have to very fundamentally start with what are digital therapeutics and how are they different? Because when they hear digital therapeutics, they think teletherapy, they think things like that, wrong use of the word, but they don't appreciate the fact that it's actually a therapy that lives on the phone. And what I think about it is when I was working clinically, a drug rep would come into my office with some new antibiotic and be like, hey, Benny, you got this new antibiotic and they stock the shelves and they give me some handouts. I know what an antibiotic is. They tell me what the indications are. I know what the indications are. That not only is it gone now from that perspective in terms of detailing, but it's just intellectually understanding what it is, because I know what antibiotic is. I know what a statin is. I know what a new ADHD medication is, but I don't know what a digital therapeutic is. So that minute or two that you get with a provider is no longer enough. So we engage early. We engage often. We go to conferences. We follow up phone calls. And that's one way of doing it. And then the other way we address scalability is we look to where a lot of these kids are, Medicaid chip, you know, Medicaid is the largest payer of mental health in the country. Since the pandemic, more than half of kids in this country are on Medicaid or chip. So we go to community health centers, FQHCs, these clinics that not only cater to kids and to kids who are on Medicaid and chip, but also those are the ones that have the least access. 
You kind of alluded to the challenges with PDT, and obviously not that long ago, we just put out an episode around paratherapeutics and the future of the PDT market. Your quick thoughts on it? It's really, really sad because there are companies who really put themselves out there and really took a risk, and that risk should have been eventually rewarded. But in tech, it's if you build it, they will come, and if they like it, they will pay. And then you put health in front of tech, and the health comes first, right? In healthcare, if you build it, I don't know, maybe they'll come, maybe they won't, depends. And if they like it, they're not going to pay. Somebody else is paying. So when you ask people who pays for healthcare, even though we all pay for healthcare, we pay for healthcare, we pay through our Medicare taxes. If we work for an employer, they pay. That's part of our benefit. That's in lieu of salary count. But it's not perceived that way because of the way the healthcare system in America is set up. We think insurance companies are paying. Somebody else should pay for it, but we really pay for it. So one of the things we're doing is trying to create advocacy around patients speaking to the benefit of these products and how they should be reimbursed and they should be covered because they do overcome the disparities and the inequities that exist right now. So I think all that stuff is like, we need to overcome that in order to protect to function as it does of build it, they will come. If they like it, they will pay. But it's just wrong that if you're lucky enough to or fortunate enough to work for a big company that can pay for your healthcare or supplement your healthcare spending that you can benefit from a device. Or if you live in Florida, you can benefit from the device, but if you live in Georgia, you can't. It doesn't work that way in tech. In tech, it's if you have access to something, you have access to something. It's not regional. And I think that's something that we really need to overcome. But I really applaud the companies that pushed ahead, took that risk. I know we're going to talk about this, but I see good things on the horizon. I think it's just going to take time. Exactly. You keep mentioning the word tech, and I think the promise of digital has been there. You alluded to something super interesting that even 30 years ago, there was incentives to put people into primary care. There's just not enough staff. Where do you continue seeing the role of humans? And I always ask maybe more specifically around health coaching surrounding some of the behavior change modifications that we all know what we need to do, but we just don't do it. Yeah. I think you need to have a human connection for these digital therapeutics to work. There has to be an ecosystem. I don't think that PDTs can work in utter isolation. And that's how we position our product as well as an adjunct. I'm a pediatrician and like we're passionate about our patients. We see patients from birth until they're off to college. And a lot of times they come back to us even after that. You know, and it's endearing. In family medicine, primary care, it's cradle to grave. We own our patients. If you want clinicians to adopt your therapy, you have to show them that it's to work with them, not instead of them. They want the help. Right now, primary care, the greatest amount of burnout is in emergency medicine, pediatrics, internal medicine, mental health. That's the biggest burnout in clinicians. 300,000 providers have left during COVID. Another one in five are planning on retiring and leaving early. Most of those are in the primary care setting because they're just overwhelmed and they're overworked. So showing them that this is something that they can use along with their patients, these products have portals that they can use and dashboards and bringing in coaches that can work alongside these devices. People are like, we don't have enough psychiatrists. 
I mean, true, but not everybody that is diagnosed with depression, right, needs a psychiatrist. This is just, you have to segment treatment, right? It's step therapy. That's why it's called step therapy. So you have to design where in that step therapy your product applies. And in addition to that, where is that synergy with either a coach or a psychologist or a licensed clinical social worker that can interact with the device? You're bringing more people in, but that will actually create efficiency. Agreed. Music to our ears here. (laughs) As people heard, you've gone through as a practicing physician in the health system, health plan, health tech. So you've seen all sides of this. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs that are going into the digital therapeutic space? Know your audience. The way you pitch your product to venture capitalists and to people that you're trying to raise money with is very different than how you pitch your product to a clinician, which is very different from how you pitch your product to a health plan, which is very different from how you pitch your product to an employer who's trying to find solutions, who's seeing employees that are not showing up to work because they're having mental health issues or their children are having employees not coming into work because their kids at home afraid to go to school. They have anxiety. They have depression. So don't take your one pitch deck that you used <laughs> during your funding round and shop it around. Like Know your audience. Talk about FDA clearance. Talk about safety and efficacy when you talk to providers. But with health plans, talk about cost of care. Talk about how much you're already spending and how much potentially you can save them. For employers, talk about the effect of the mental health crisis on the labor force to IDNs, you know, in health systems that you may be working with, talk about how physician burnout, talk about how these devices can actually reduce the amount of time that a clinician would need to spend face-to-face with a patient and that they can monitor them virtually. But keep up the good work because, you know, I've met so many founders now and so many people in this line of business, and they really are all mission-driven and keep that up. I know a lot has been deflated in the last few months. But I very strongly believe that eventually this will be a standard of care, that whether you have depression, dermatitis, or diabetes, you're going to see a doctor or a clinician, and you're going to get a diagnosis, and you're going to get a QR code, and you're going to download, and that's going to help you manage that condition. And also on the pharma side, you're going to get a prescription for medication. It's going to help you manage that prescription. We just haven't gotten there yet because there are so many moving pieces, but I think we'll get there. Well, Benny, we started with you. Let's end with you. What makes you get up in the morning? I have always believed that every day you should either lead, follow, or get out of the way. And the reason I love working at Limbics is because I get to practice that. There are times when I'm leading something, and there are times that I get to step back and just watch in wonderment as things are being <laughs> created. And it really gives me that opportunity to do all three. And you know, it's just an amazing group of people. Nobody's here because they just need a job. Everybody's got a story. I've said this many times in this podcast. A lot of people that get into healthcare is because unfortunately we've all had bad experiences through this system. Benny, thank you very much for making the time this morning and we'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of Mission Based Media. 
be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time. Thank you.